Hey friends, John here. Just want to give you a quick heads up before we kick off this week's podcast. We had a technical issue on Sunday, which meant that about half my talk was cut off. So what we thought we'd do, rather than send you half a message, I'm going to re-record the rest now. So listen out about halfway through this message. Um, you're going to hear it switch from me sharing on Sunday to me sharing here right now. Um, hope that's all right with you and that you uh, enjoy listening to this week's podcast. Thanks. Welcome to the Vine Life Podcast. We're a church in Manchester who love Jesus, each other and our city. Catch up on this week's message and more. What a morning so far. Um, Also, I said more in hope than knowledge of any particular facts. I really hope that England are about to win the 2020 World Cup this morning. Ralph's giving me a casual thumbs up there. So we're looking good. Um... That will mean nothing to a whole bunch of you. Something else that will mean nothing to a whole bunch of you. But I'm just really excited about it. I'm loving Andor right now. Episode 10, phenomenal. Star Wars nerd, but Star Wars for grown-ups is phenomenal. Andy Serkis, role of a lifetime. He's had a lot of roles of a lifetime, but made me cry. Anyway. So as you know, we have been in this series called open hands. We've been talking about what it looks like to mirror the posture of Jesus towards us. Um, and this morning I've got the fun the fun job of talking about open-handed generosity, talking about what we do with our money. So right now you're feeling really comfortable and excited about this, aren't you? But thinking about God's posture to us, invite to mirror it. Remember our key scripture in Philippians 2 verses 5 and 6, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God something to be exploited or to be grasped or to be held onto. And it goes on to say that he humbled himself, made himself nothing, emptied himself, died on a cross. But in the end, God lifted him up. And, you know, generosity is something that applies to a whole bunch of different things in our lives. Like being generous with our time and our energy. But today, we're going to zero in on money, if that's all right. And there's a lot to say about money. The Bible has a lot to say. Jesus said a lot of things about money. I'm going to say some of them. I'm not going to say all of them. So this won't be, you know, the definitive money talk you've ever heard in your life. It probably, you know. Might not even be that good, but I'm going to say some things about money that hopefully will challenge some of your assumptions and help you to think and give you something to take away and consider this week. But Philippians 2 is not the only place in scripture that talks about God and his generosity generosity towards us. You know, it starts right from the opening pages of the Bible. God creates this beautiful earth brings order out of chaos and puts human beings at the center of a garden to enjoy. He gives us his whole planet. He says, fill the earth, make it your own, be at home here. And then he, you know, at the end of the story, God's still making a space for us and him to be together. As heaven and earth come together, read the end of Revelation, a new city that God has for us. God is continually giving from the first page of scripture to the last page of scripture. God's generous posture to us reaches its high point 
It's focus in his gift of Jesus to us. John 3.16, you probably know it. For God so loved the world in this way, he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And eternal life is not this far off thing that we have to wait for. It's an invitation to life with Jesus now. Yes, that goes on forever, but it starts right now. And over the course of this life with Jesus, we're going to learn that there's nothing in this world that is really worth holding on to except him. And especially not money. But let's be real right now. As much as I kind of hate jumping on the bandwagon of media-generated catchphrases, there is some sort of cost-of-living crisis going on right now. That's a phrase you've probably heard if you've paid any attention to the news at any point this year. You know, energy bills are up. It costs me more to fill up my car. Andy's particularly worried about the price of butter, if you remember that from the other week. And to be honest, I am as well, because my daughter likes to bake, and it's costing us a lot of money. Um, you know, and I, I've got the privilege of being someone who owns a house with a mortgage, and so my mortgage is going up. And, um, you know, I recognise that's a privilege, and, and I have a job, and I earn an income, but there's others in the room who are facing even more kind of ridiculous financial pressure than I am right now. So I'm not saying there's nothing to be concerned about in the world right now. I'm not ignorant or blind to the circumstances that exist outside of this room and inside of this room. I'm not saying, hey, don't worry about that stuff. Just fill out your standing order form and a gift day declaration and you'll be okay. That's not what I'm here to tell you today, all right? That would be crazy. Like we need to be aware of what's going on in our world and adjust accordingly. So I say everything that I'm saying today, knowing the context of November 22, uh, 2022 here in the UK, I'm not blind to those circumstances. But we also don't need to live in fear. And one of the ways that we put things in the right order and we prevent fear and worry from overtaking us prevent fear from gaining a foothold in our lives is to prioritize what we do with our money when it comes to being generous. If we can learn to live open-handedly with our money, with our finances, I genuinely believe it's a step to conquering our fear, living out our trust in God, giving him the room to provide for us and to meet our needs. So I want to look at a case study in the New Testament today where Paul gives us some instructions and key ideas for us to think about what it means when it comes to giving. So we're going to talk about this offering for the church in Jerusalem. Um, it's a bit of context for you. Um, so 1 and 2 Corinthians, there are letters written by a guy called Paul. If you've read the New Testament, you've probably come across Paul. Um, he got radically met by Jesus on the road where he was off to kind of persecute some Christians. Jesus met him, his life got turned around and he became one of the most impactful evangelists and writers of uh, letters that are now in our Bible, in the New Testament. So Paul is writing to this 
church in Corinth. Um, he cares about this church. He sees himself as a father to this church. And he's asking them if they would give money to the church in Jerusalem, which is where the church started. So it's like the mother church of all of these churches. He's saying, look, we need to take care of them because there's people in need in that church. And it's just a great opportunity to show that we love them, that we honor them, that we respect them, that we're going to go and give them some money. Um, fun fact, Paul wrote at least four letters to the Corinthians. We've probably got the second and the fourth ones in our Bibles today. Um, he refers to these other letters in 1 and 2 Corinthians. But it's also good to know like this isn't just some itinerant speaker that comes in and says, hey guys, give us your money. This is a guy who's invested in this community. He's invested in the well-being of the Corinthians church, which is why he calls them to a high standard of generosity. He knows these guys. And so he asked the church in Corinth to take up a collection for the church in Jerusalem. And he sets this up in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. He says, now, about the collection for the saints, do the same as I instructed to the Galatian churches. So he's like, not just talking to these one guys, he's not zeroed in on Corinth, because it's like, Corinth is quite a wealthy city. So he's not just going to these guys because they're rich. We'll find out in a minute, he's talking to the guys in Macedonia and Galatia as well. So it says, on the first day of the week, each of you is to set something aside and save in keeping with how he is prospering. That's really important. In keeping with how you're prospering. So that no collections need to be made when I come. When I arrive, I'll send with letters those you recommend to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it's suitable for me to go as well, they'll travel with me. That's just because Paul loves hanging out with these people. He wants to be with them, taking some money to Jerusalem. And Paul's asked for this offering in this letter. He says, hey guys, first day of the week, be organized about it. The day you get paid, essentially, first day of the week, set something aside in keeping with how you are prospering. So it's in proportion to what's going on in your life financially. Set it aside, but for some reason, we don't know the reason, this just hasn't happened. <laughs> So Paul writes to them again in 2 Corinthians. Like I said, he's collecting this offering for a number of churches, um, including the churches in Galatia, like he mentions, in Macedonia. He talks about the Macedonian church in 2 Corinthians 8. He says, look, these guys in Macedonia, they've got no money. They're really poor. But he says they gave so generously. He says their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. And the church in Corinth, like I said, is likely much wealthier than this Macedonian church that Paul's been referring to. But it would still have people of all different financial statuses in it. Everyone from wealthy landowners to slaves, because that is what the family of God looks like. It's for everyone, no matter of your economic status. And he talks about, you know, initially he talked about everyone setting something aside in keeping with how they're prospering. And that's a really important principle to carry forward with us. But knowing that in this church is everyone from the people who own people to the people that are owned. Paul's talking to everyone regardless of their financial status. So what he's about to say in 2 Corinthians 9 is for everyone. And whether you feel like you've got money coming out of your ears or you feel like money is the most pressured thing in your life right now, 
Paul's got some words for you. You know, if you've got a regular income from a job, Paul wants to talk to you. If you're navigating life with a student loan, Paul's got some advice for you. If your income's made up of benefits or it's irregular, it comes in fits and starts, or you just don't know what's around the corner, Paul's got some advice for you. So let's read what he's got to say about how the church is meant to think about this offering. Um, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 12. He says, the point is this. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you, so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. As it's written, he distributed freely, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will also provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way for all generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. So the first thing that Paul goes after here is this topic of sowing and reaping in verse 6. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. The person who sows generously will also reap generously. And sowing and reaping is this principle that crops up time and again throughout scripture. Essentially, you get back what you give. And it applies to all sorts of things. Kind of sounds a bit like karma, doesn't it, right? Or I think, rather, karma sounds a bit like sowing and reaping. I think it's an imitation, a poor imitation. We know that God has no problem with transcending these rules of sowing and reaping, but it seems to be the way it goes most of the time. Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 6, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He's talking about all sorts of things here, not just money. But we also know, don't we, that life doesn't work quite so simply and straightforwardly. Sowing and reaping doesn't always seem to happen in the way we expect. You know, I've had times in my life where I thought I was being totally faithful with my finances, but things were really, really tight. You know, the first few years after I graduated university, I worked, I mean, for free for a year for the church, part-time, and then part-time and not paid an awful lot, and I worked in a cinema to make ends meet as well. And I thought, do you know what? I've totally pointed my life at the purposes of God. I've given my the best first few years of my career to working for the church. So therefore, surely everything will be fine for me financially, right? I'm doing the right thing, so God's going to provide for me. 
And it didn't quite work out that way. <laughs> I got in some sticky situations. Things were tight. But maybe I was looking in the wrong places to reap. Paul's letter to the Galatians might help us. Here, Galatians 5, verse 7 to 9. Remember, these are also guys that he's asking for money. He says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will also reap destruction from the flesh. It's cheery stuff, isn't it? But the one who sows to the spirit will reap eternal life from the spirit. Let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. And when is the proper time? I don't know. <laughs> but what I do know is that my time scale is completely different to God's time scale. What if the infinite God of eternity, who sees both the beginning and the end and everything in between all at the same time, thinks about things differently <laughs> to some mere mortal like me? I wonder as well, as well as our expectation of timing being different, we might even be looking for the wrong thing. Jesus tells this completely bonkers parable in Luke 16 about this shrewd manager. So as I was saying, Jesus tells this kind of completely bonkers parable about this shrewd manager um, who essentially lies and then gets rewarded for it. Um, not by God, but by someone kind of equally as dishonest as himself. And then Jesus goes on to say this, Luke 16, 11, So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? I think the point is this. There's stuff that God values more than money. And that doesn't make money bad or wrong. No, in fact, Scripture only condemns the love of money in 1 Timothy 6. And Jesus says that you can't serve both God and money. But money itself isn't the most important thing that God wants for us in our lives. You know, these true riches, they're not clearly defined by Jesus in this story. But I wonder if he's talking about the things of the kingdom of God that you could describe as, as love, as joy, as peace, as hope. Maybe he's talking about freedom for the captive, recovery of sight for the blind, the lame walking, the deaf hearing, the restoration and the transformation of hearts, of minds, of bodies, of lives turned around and transformed by the Spirit of God for life in the kingdom of God. You know, maybe those, those are the riches we could reap if we could do something as simple as sow our finance in the ways that God is asking us to. And in sowing and reaping, I don't think that God is some sort of divine pawnbroker or bureau de change manager just waiting for us to pay something in to credit our account and then pay something back out or that he's some sort of cosmic vending machine where we just put in our money make our selection and see what drops out that's a bit mechanical and feels a bit like trying to manipulate God to control our experience of him I've been wondering over the last few years maybe being someone who chooses to give generously would make our heart the kind of soil that God can grow something in. Maybe these acts of obedience, they shape us and change us ever so gently, just a little at a time, into the sort of person that God can use ever more effectively and powerfully for his kingdom.
it's less about us paying into some sort of heavenly pension pot somewhere in the sky so that one day we might get a lump sum out. But maybe it's about our formation into the likeness of Christ. A simple obedience that can continue to form us to his image so that our lives look just a little bit more like him. So that's what I've been wondering about sowing and reaping. So I'm not here today to make you a promise that if you give financially to church, you'll reap it back financially with more money. I think that's an irresponsible use of scripture, and I think it misses the point. You know, the final thing on sowing and reaping before we move on. We've called this series Open Hands. You need open hands both to sow and to reap, to give and to receive. Now, last Friday night, I played basketball. And if I tried to play basketball with closed fists the whole time, I'd be pretty useless. I wouldn't be able to pass the ball. I wouldn't be able to catch the ball. I wouldn't be able to shoot. I wouldn't be able to receive the ball on the edge of the D, drive past a couple of defenders and execute a sweet layup. Just like I did once in two hours. Didn't do it any other time, but I managed it once on Friday night. But here's the thing. You can't sow or reap with closed hands. We need an open-handed posture to sow and to reap. It's this letting go of control and surrendering to Jesus and being open to him with whatever we're holding and being open to whatever he wants to put in our hands in its place. Because whatever the time scale, whatever the reward, everything we sow will one day reap a harvest. That much is clear. So moving on to verse 7. We've got to decide in our hearts. Verse 7 of 2 Corinthians um, chapter 9 says this, Each person should do as he is deciding in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. You see, it's up to you to decide. I'm not here to tell you how much to give or when to give it, or even who to give it to. I think you need to decide. And some of you are thinking, like, come on, John, just tell us the rules. We'll play along. <laughs> but Paul's really clear here. You've got to take responsibility for what you're going to give. And you get to be happy about it. You know, giving is meant to be cheerful. You know, this word cheerful, it could also mean someone who's already won over, someone who's already convinced, they've decided there's a decision-making process gone on and they're going to partner with that. And we're going to look at some things to consider when it comes to giving our way, away our money in a moment. But the first clue, the first hint that Paul gives us is just a few verses later. In verse 10, Paul talks about bread and seed. He says, now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will also provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. And he's channeling Isaiah 55 here. But Paul tells us that God provides in two different ways, bread and seed. And not to state the obvious, but bread is for eating and seed is for sowing. What is God putting in your hands to eat the things you need today? You know, bread doesn't last that long before it's past its best. You know, as a family, we had the privilege of going to France this summer. And when in France, what you do, what you need to do is go to the baker, to the boulangerie every day and buy fresh bread. You know, in France, French bread is this perfect thing where it's, it's crunchy and crispy on the outside and it's soft in the middle and you just need a bit of butter maybe some cheese maybe a few ripe tomatoes and it's glorious but if you leave it until the next day 
it's dry and it's hard. And like maybe you can make some croutons or something. I don't know. Bread is the stuff we need right now. It's our daily bread. It's what's provided to meet our needs in the here and now. But seed, seed is there to be sown. You know, raw wheat grains are not worth eating. They're hard to chew. They're too stubborn to be broken down by your digestive system. And they're not going to do you any good. Your body can't absorb any of the energy or the nutrients locked up inside of them. Trying to eat what is meant to be sown isn't going to do you any good in the long run. Like you won't get any nutritional benefit from it. And you won't have any crops the following harvest. And part of this discernment process around giving is knowing what is seed and what is bread. What is God asking you to sow as seed and what is he instructing you to keep and eat as bread? So in 2 Corinthians 9, Paul talked about sowing and reaping, about bread and seed, and that each of us needs to decide for ourselves what that looks like. But how do we do that? How can we decide what to give? Well, for us here at Vine Life, we are unapologetically people of the book. We're Bible people. We're a Bible-reading, Bible-believing, Bible-loving church. And we take scripture as our authority on matters of life and faith. While the Bible might be without error, our interpretation and our reading of it can be full of mistakes. You know, and this is where we need to read the Bible in community with others. And sometimes that community looks like the voices of the church through the last two millennia, the people that have read this stuff and poured over it. Maybe it's books by scholars, by people who um, have real insight um, into scripture. And sometimes it looks like us getting around the table with our friends and talking about this stuff. And we do all of this under the inspiration, under the instruction and influence of the Holy Spirit. He's the one, remember, that Jesus promised would guide us into all truth. And, you know, we did this as a team. Our core leadership team talked about this stuff together. We talked about what the Bible has to say. We prayed about it. We asked Holy Spirit to guide us as we talked. And these three key things of scripture, of community and Holy Spirit coming together to help us discern the truth. And this is some of the stuff we landed on. So I want to take a very, very quick look at what the Bible has to say, starting with the Old Testament. And very quickly, when you begin to talk about generosity and giving from the Bible, you'll hear this word called tithe. Now, tithe just means a tenth or 10%. And there's a couple of times, even before God gave Israel the law, in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, there's a couple of people who, who tithe. There's Abraham who tithed 10% of the spoils of war to um, this mysterious priest called Melchizedek. He's an interesting character. You go read about him one day. Um, and there's also Jacob. He had a dream about um, God and he met God in the dream. And he was like, God, I'm going to give you 10% of everything. Now, it's difficult to say if these guys tithing was something they did regularly um, or even if they necessarily did it more than the once, um, like Abraham. But um, we know that they said they would do it in the book of Genesis. But then when God gives Israel the law, the, the law is articulated a number of different times through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. And it's in Numbers and Deuteronomy that we find these articulations of the tithe. And actually, 
there's three different types of tithe mentioned in the law that God gave to Israel. So there's the Levitical or the sacred tithe in Numbers 18, and this is to be given to the Levites and put in the temple storehouse. Now the Levites were those who were set apart to serve in the tabernacle and later the temple, and they facilitated worship. You know, unlike the rest of the nation, they didn't have their own farms um, to produce their own goods. So they were reliant on the rest of the nation to provide for them. And it's not an exact like-for-like swap for the church of today, but you can see how Christians today would look at this and they would see some level of similarity with giving to the church today. You know, the Levites were the ones that made worship happen. They created the space for people to come and meet with God. And so you can see it's not an exact like-for-like but there's some level of similarity with the church today. And then there's also the tithe of feasts in Deuteronomy 14. You know, this is more specifically an offering of worship to God. It's about eating together in the presence of God. Now, functionally, I don't understand how it would work to eat a whole tenth of your produce for the year in one go, but this is just what the text says. And the Levites get a mention here as well. And then also in Deuteronomy 14, there's a third tithe. A tithe for the poor, where once every three years, Israel was commanded to give a tenth of their harvest to the Levites, the foreigners, the orphans, the widows, those that are vulnerable within their nation. So we've got these three um, types of tithe. And it's not entirely clear if maybe this is the same tithe um, kind of articulated in three different ways, or if these are three separate tithes that we know average out two tithes every year and then one tithe tithe every third year. So that's actually like 23 and a third percent. Or is it just, yeah, the same 10% talked about in three different ways? We don't really know. But what's clear, what comes out here is that some of this tithe, this um, this produce from their um, agricultural farming society, these fruits, these vegetables, these meat products, the, um, all of the stuff that they're producing, it comes into the storehouse to provide for the Levites and it provides for the poor. And also we know that Israel are instructed to give out the first fruits of their harvest. They give to God, or at least they present it in the temple. Um, out of the, the first bit of their produce. So they don't know that all the rest is going to come in. They give this first bit out of faith, out of recognition that it is God who provides for them. But the point of the law is always this, to show us what God is like. You know, later on in scripture, God says that he wants to write the law on the hearts of people, not just on stone tablets or in a book somewhere. He wants to write the law on our hearts that we would know what he is like, we would know what is on his hearts what is on his heart, and to move us towards generosity in this case. This is a brilliant example of how we're invited into a dialogue with the Holy Spirit and with others to work out what's on God's heart for us. You know, some people would definitely want a rule. Just tell me what to give and I'll give it. But actually, maybe God wants a conversation with you here about what you're giving, about how you figure out what this law, what this Old Testament law means for you today in 2022 because in the new testament the new testament 
doesn't explicitly endorse or revoke the tithe. You know, Jesus said he came to fulfill the law, but not to abolish it. Think about the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, you know, you've heard it said this thing, but I say to you something different. And his standard is always higher. He didn't just say, don't murder people. He said, don't even think about it in your heart. He didn't say, um, don't commit adultery. He said, don't commit adultery and don't even lust after someone in your own heart and mind. Jesus' standard always seems higher. And he does sort of seem to affirm tithing. Um, there's a story in Matthew 23 where he's talking to the Pharisees. And he's like, yeah, you tithe this and you tithe that. You're cumin, you're dill. He's talking about all these like different herbs and spices that they're tithing. But he's like, hey, you've forgotten some of the stuff that's really important. It's almost like tithing is, is a given to Jesus. But we have this quite abstract notion, don't we, when, when it comes to generosity, that we're giving to God. But functionally, like our money has to go somewhere to someone. You know, God isn't a physical entity who could, you know, like in the Old Testament, he couldn't take and eat the gifts of the harvest from Israel, nor could he like spend and use that money himself. You know, when we give to God, it has to go somewhere. So I look at the scripture and I see that in the Old Testament, giving went to the Levites in the temple. And when I read the New Testament, I see that the offering Paul is taking is going to the church in Jerusalem. So I put those things together and I see that one of the places that I'm called to give is to the church, to my local church, for the facilitating and organizing of that space and to provide for those whose role it is to work for the church. And when I read the Old and the New Testament, tithes and offerings were set aside for the poor and for the needy, for the vulnerable and the oppressed. And so I see that one of the places that I'm called to give is to help those in need. And when I read scripture, I see that 10% of my income is a good guide for what I'm called to give away. It's not a target that once I hit it, I'm done and I never need to be generous again. It's also not just that 10% of my money belongs to God and like 100% of my money belongs to God. It's all a gift from him. Thinking about it being like a 90-10 split is actually really unhelpful when it comes to not holding on tightly to the rest of it. Remember wanting to be open-handed with our money, not just a tenth of it. And in fact, I think we're called to both plan our giving, as Paul asked the church to do in 1 Corinthians, but also be spontaneous in responding to need, as he's having to ask them to do again in 2 Corinthians. So we're left with these questions of how much to give and who to give to. So I'd say it like this, we're called to give intentionally, tithing is a guide but it's not a limit i believe scripture points us to giving to the church and i believe scripture points us to giving to to those in need and for us as vine life as our church family we are also committed to giving away some of our income we set ourselves the target of 10 percent of our general income that's any money that's not given for a specific purpose we do that every year because we don't want to ask you to do something that we're not prepared to do ourselves. And some of that, month, that money goes out in a month-by-month -month regular pattern. That makes up about half of our giving. And some of it goes locally to organizations here in Manchester and some others um, around the world in places that we can't reach. So here in Manchester, we give to Barnabas, who are doing brilliant work with the homeless. 
that we can't do ourselves. We give money to places like The Mission, who are reaching people that we can't reach ourselves. And we always want to be open about our finances as a church family. We're working on some ways that we can continue to give you regular updates on how things are going. That'll probably kick off in the new year. Kind of some quarterly email updates as well as like an annual general meeting as well. But in the meantime, like there's no secrets. And if you've got questions about our finances as a church, please do just come and ask me. But here's what I want you to know. When you give to us, when you give to Vine Life, we are participating in giving away as well. And so we've got this other chunk of money that we need to decide what to do with. We need to decide what to give away. And that's what we're going to do over this next couple of weeks. And we're inviting you to join us. So there are two things that I want you to do today that I'm asking you to do today. The first is to consider your giving to Vine Life. If this is your church community, then consider how you give to this church. I want to invite you about, to think about how you're going to help facilitate the things that we do. You know, I don't want to shy away from it, but I want to say that we are relying on your donations as a church family. So I ask you to reflect on what scripture says, to talk about with people you trust, who were the financial decision makers in your household as well. And talk about it with friends. Maybe talk about it in your small group. And invite Holy Spirit to speak and consider what you're giving to Vine Life. Now, I'm not asking for a response in the moment right now or asking you to make an emotional commitment that you're going to struggle to follow through on. But this week, set aside some time to read, to reflect, to talk, to pray about what you need to be giving. And then review it a couple of times a year. As you come to think about your finances, think about what you're giving away. And the second thing that I want to ask you to do, and I'm really excited about this, is that we are going to give some money away over the next couple of weeks. And I want to invite you to join us in that. Now, I know the timing for this is clunky. I know we're in this cost of living crisis. I know Christmas is just around the corner. And yes, we are going to be asking you to contribute to our Christmas appeal really soon. It's going to be really exciting this year. So like, I wish the timing was different, but we are where we are. We want to activate what we're talking about this week. So we're going to be taking a special offering over the next couple of weeks to go to two projects locally that are doing something about the cost of living crisis. Now, the first is um, Burnage Food Bank. That's just around the corner from Burnage Academy where we meet on a Sunday. Now, that's part of the Trussell Trust Network. And if you've paid any attention to any news in the last few years, hopefully you'll know what a food bank is and what it does. And the second local project we want to give towards is in Ardwick. It's just around the corner from our building, but it's our neighbours, Brunswick Parish Church. We've got to know them a little bit over the last couple of years. And they run a community program called Positive Steps. They do things like community cafe, life skills course, exercise classes, mums and toddlers classes for the community. And they're doing all sorts of wonderful things in the Ardwick neighbourhood that are meeting people's needs. And we want to support them in that. So as a church family, as a church organisation, we've already committed to giving the first £1,000 towards each project. So there's some momentum, there's some money in the pot already. And I would love it as a church family if we could match that with another £2,000. 
And everything you give towards this special offering will be split between these two local project projects. Because we can't ask you to give to us without modeling what it looks like to give away as well. We feel the urgency to respond to these things right now. Now, if you need the details about how and when to give, we'll be sending out information on that this week via email. But if you want, if you've got any questions about how any of that's going to work, you can drop us an email, admin at finelife.co.uk. We'll gladly fill you in as to how you can partner with us. Okay, I'm going to wrap up here. But before you go, I want to pray for you. Father, would you speak to us by your Holy Spirit as we consider what it means to be people who are open-handed with our finances? Would you help us know that when we give to you, we are sowing into your kingdom? Lord, no matter how and when we reap, we know that we will reap a harvest of righteousness as you promise. Father, give us the wisdom to know what is bread and what is seed. We would know what to keep and what to give away as we decide in our hearts what we're going to commit to those in need around us and to give towards the local church as well. Father, would you put people around us that we can talk to, open the scriptures by your Holy Spirit, breathe on them, make them come alive for us as we consider what it is you're asking us to do in this moment. Hope you enjoyed today's message. If you want to find out more, head to our website, findlife.co.uk, or follow us on Instagram. God bless, and see you soon.